This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come before your throne of grace and to speak to you. Lord, we're here at GYC and there's so much going on. There's so much information we've already heard and Lord, you know that I have a lot to to share today. So I pray that you will help our minds to be focused on this message here right now and that Lord, you would come and speak through me, that the words that I speak would not just be my own words, but that they would be what is pleasing in your sight. I pray that you would not allow me to step in the way of what you want shared today. Lord, I pray that each and every person here will have a fertile mind to receive what is shared and that it won't stop here, Lord, but that it will spread and that many people will be touched as a result of what we talk about. In Jesus' name, amen. So my presentation is called Sharing the Cross Connection. So we're going to be talking about how exactly we can reach out to the LGBT community. How many of you have friends, family members, acquaintances that are LGBT? Okay, quite a few, right? So how exactly do we, do we minister to them? So friendship evangelism is what we're going to talk about. I think sometimes it's really easy to look at a person and make assumptions. Do you have people like this in your life? Have you seen someone like this on the street? If you have, what did you do? What was your response? Did you smile at them? Did you approach them? Did you speak to them? Did you, in your heart, did you pray for them? If you did interact with them, what did you say? I think, unfortunately, a lot of us don't really know how to minister to people that we can tell have vast differences from us. And just like Michael said earlier, there's no formula or equation that says this is what makes a person transgendered. And it's the same for lesbian, bisexual, and gays. But through my experience and the collective experiences of my colleagues, and through the many conversations that I've had with other people, and from studies that I've looked at, I've seen a common denominator. Now, I'm going to share some points with you that I've observed. I'm going to show some stats to you. And you'll notice that none of the stats say 100%. So none of these things that I share apply to everyone. But I think that they apply to a great number of people, and we're going to take a look at that. Many of the people that we see who come to identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgendered have suffered in the past. They've suffered rejection or neglect. Many of them have suffered some kind of abuse of one shape or size. And many of them have deep-seated emotional pain. Some people have never identified anything in their life where they would say, I was rejected or neglected or abused, but they do have some kind of emotional pain that they haven't addressed and they don't know what to do with. 
What these people are really searching for, what they're looking for in their life, is worth and purpose. Many of these people feel alone. They feel like nobody cares for them. And a lot of them are struggling with guilt or regret. Many of them feel empty inside. What they're looking for is forgiveness and love. This is from the Rolling Stone magazine, and this was an article written about a girl who came out to her mom. It says, after what felt like an eternity, her mom finally responded, I don't know what we could have done for God to have given us a fag as a child, she said before hanging up. And I think historically, a lot of Christian parents haven't known how to really address the situation when their child comes out to them. And they feel like they cannot accept their choices, and so they cannot accept their child. But if you, as a Christian, are bearing the name of Christ, and you reject them, what is that teaching them that Christ is going to do? Do you think that when someone says in their mind, you know, I must be homosexual, I must be transgender, do you think God says, you're just a fag and hangs up the phone? That's not what he does. And so I don't think this is the right representation of Christ. As many as 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBT. Of all that 40%, those clients, 68% have experienced family rejection, and 54 have experienced some abuse in their family. This is a quote from the Williams Institute study. I saw that 46% ran away because of family rejection of their sexual orientation or gender identity. 43% were forced out by parents because of sexual orientation or gender identity. And 32% had been abused at home either physically, emotionally, or sexually. And 14% said that they were on the streets because they were aged out of foster care. I found these statistics. So the blue here is the non-LGBT. So we'll just say that's the heterosexual population. The green is lesbian, gay, or bisexual, and the yellow is transgender. So we see 18%, this is a middle school, this is a a body of middle school students, and this was done by the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. This group of middle school students of the group, 18%, had seriously considered suicide. It jumps to 49% for the LGB and 57% for the transgender. We see the same trends for those who have made a suicide plan and those who have attempted Suicide. 6% of these middle school students that were heterosexual said they had attempted suicide. Half of them had attempted suicide if they identified as transgender. And I think Michael kind of brought this out. He really brought this out this morning that changing what you are on the outside really doesn't address the issue, right? And so I think that's why so many people turn to suicide because it doesn't fix the problem. Research on the issue of family acceptance of LGBT youth find that those who were highly rejected by their family were eight times more likely to commit suicide. 
And I, it was staggering for me to see this. This is a substance use. So we have the same colors here and the same trends. 13% of the heterosexual population said that they had tried cigarettes. These are middle school students, right? It jumps to 44% for the LGB and 76% for transgender. I was so shocked when I saw cocaine. It's the same trend for cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, and inhalants, but while 3% of the heterosexual population say in middle school they've tried cocaine, it's 69% of transgender. It's 33% of the LGB. So a lot of, a lot of people who identify as LGBT, they, they'll say, I don't want you to say that I'm living a gay lifestyle. Because when you say lifestyle, there's kind of this tag that goes along with it that deals with promiscuity and with drug use and with partying. But that's not me. Like I said, none of these say 100%, so it isn't everybody. But we can see by the numbers that there is a significant increase, right? So what is this driving force that's turning people to drugs and to suicide? Christ Object Lesson says, many are sunken in sin. They long to find a solace for their troubles, and Satan tempts them to seek it in lusts and pleasures that lead to ruin and death. He is offering them the apples of Sodom that will turn to ashes upon their lips. So we, he, we see here that they're longing to find a solace to their troubles. That's why people are turning to relationships and LGBT people aren't the only ones that do that, right? They're turning to drugs. I had a friend. He was my best friend from like 13 to 24, 23. And I left the state, and I hadn't seen him for many years. When I came back to town, of course I wanted to hang out with Frankie and see how he was doing. This was after I'd been converted, and I'm a Christian now, and I get together with Frankie, and I hardly recognized him. He was walking down the street towards me. Not only did I not recognize his gait, the way that he was walking, because he had been hit by a car a few uh, weeks before, and all of his tendons had been torn away from his knee, so he was walking different than I'd ever seen Frankie walk. But he, had, he wouldn't even hardly look at me. His, his hat was down in his face, and he had sores all over his face, and, and he was addicted to heroin. And as I was spending some time with him that day, Throughout the conversation, I was impressed to say, you know, Frankie, I think that we all have this space inside of our heart that, that is just longing for something. We all need something to make us complete inside, and we're all searching for that thing. And, and I could tell that he resonated with that statement because he said, well, do you think it's the same for everybody, or do you think it's different? And I said, no, I think it's the same, and I don't think you're necessarily going to like the answer that I give you, but... The answer is God. And he said, well, you can be addicted to drugs or you can be addicted to God. It's just something to, you know, throw your life at. I don't see God moving in my life ever when I even try. And so why not turn to something that I do see move my life? We can look at these people and we can think, wow, they're never going to change. One time someone said to me, if... If 
God can change Saul into Paul, then he can change me. And I like that so much, I wrote it down and I hung it up in my office at work. And, and this passage is profound to me. It says, Christ will perform wonderful miracles if men will but do their God-given part. In human hearts today, as great a transformation may be wrought as has ever been wrought in generations past. So that tells me, yes, indeed, if God can change Saul into Paul, he can change me too. And he can change that person that you see in your life who's openly living in sin and, and walking against God. And I don't think that Saul into Paul is the only illustration. I think that I'm an illustration. I think that Wayne's an illustration. I think that Michael's an illustration. Ron's an illustration. And there's many other people who have experienced victory. So if rejection isn't the solution, and if the things that people naturally turn to aren't the solution, what is? Well, if you've heard any Adventist message on friendship evangelism, you've probably heard this verse. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy to them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. So what I see when I look at this here, I see that it's not like you walk up to someone and you say, oh, you should follow Jesus, and then there they are in the pew next to you next Sabbath. Doesn't, doesn't usually work that way. Human hearts don't work that way. Christ showed us that there is a, a process. There are kind of prerequisites, as you will, that we, we have to enter into to help a person really come to the point that they're ready to be introduced to, to the way to Christ. Christian love is slow to censor, quick to discern penitence, ready to forgive, to encourage, to set the wanderer in the path of holiness, and to stay his feet therein. So true Christian love means that you're right there with them. It means loving them now in the midst of the mess that they are and committing to walk with them through that process that is led entirely by the Holy Spirit. Reaching people involves spending time with them. Like I said, it's easy to judge a person by their cover, and it's easy to see sin in someone's life and think, man, they're such a rebel, they're just a troublemaker, you know, and, and assume their motives. But most people have information in their life, and they look at their life, and they truly, honestly believe that they're doing what is best with the truth that they have. And so we have to look at a person, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. We have to trust and believe that they are sincerely doing the best that they can and not just look at them as a troublemaker. And I think that when people assume that Christians are going to react a certain way to their LGBT stance, they're kind of shocked when Christians don't respond that way. So do them a favor and don't be surprised by them. And they will be surprised by that. 
I asked myself as entering into this ministry and talking about this topic a lot, I thought, you know, so many people come up to me and say, my friend, my cousin, my family member. I thought, what if one of my family members came out and said, you know, I'm gay? What would I do? How would I react? I would hope that I would react the way that I encourage other people to react. And I thought, you know, I don't stay in touch with my cousins very well, and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to step forward instead of stepping back and make an effort to, to start talking with them. And you just have to be real with people. You don't want to go and try and relate to someone in a way that compromises who you truly are in Christ, but you want to go and show them who you are in Christ. And you want to show them that you're genuine, that you're not fake. And you can do that through these simple body language things that that most of us do with the people that we're comfortable with. So even if you're uncomfortable, fight against the natural inclination to act uncomfortable. And make yourself comfortable around them so they'll be comfortable around you. That makes sense, right? And the easiest way to build a friendship with someone is to find common ground. That's why the people that you have so much in common with, you're naturally friends with, right? (laughs) So if you want to build a friendship with someone, then find common ground. Ask them questions about who they are and what they like to do. And then when you find something that you share in common, we'll make conversation through that. Maybe you'll, you'll find that you love photography and so do they. So, you know, show them, show them um, some photography you've taken. Ask them what kind of camera they use or, you know, you can build off the common ground that you have and that is the best place to start. Reaching people involves having their best interest at heart. We want to fix things, right? <laughs> a lot of the times we want, to, we want to help people see the areas in which they need to fix things in their life. But I think one of the best things that you can show someone that, that you're trustworthy is to not try and show them how much they need Jesus, but just, just show them how much you care. Because, right, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, Right? First time I saw that quote, it was on a fortune cookie. (laughs) And, well, it wasn't on the cookie, it was inside the cookie. But I think it's really true. You know, it might be one of those sayings we hear, but it is really true. Show them by your actions that you really care for them. And remember that there's cause to effect in their lives. Remember that there are reasons why they have chosen the path that they've chosen. And don't focus on their sin. Don't look at their sin and let your sights be fixed on that. Look into the heart of the person and come to understand and appreciate their fears and their perplexities, their hopes and their desires. And as you do that, you will come to have Christ's heart towards the person instead of judgment towards them. And when you do that, I, you know, I heard people whenever I was in the world who would say, you know, oh, we're, that person really needs Jesus. And I'm thinking, well, you don't know what I need. I would get so defensive. I knew my life was a mess, but I didn't like anybody else who tried to tell me that it was. 
So we have to have compassion in our heart, not just as, a, as an outward show as a figure, but truly, essentially. And, and I think that this is the best way to do that. One of the best ways is to really see the person that's inside. Reaching people involves showing that you care through providing time and energy into the relationship. Because it's easy when you cross paths with someone to just say hi and to talk a little bit and go about your day. And then when they're, when they're in their little world and they're feeling so alone, they don't really feel like you're their friend. So if you make efforts to invest time and energy into that friendship and go out of your way to make greater connections than just what easily happens, that's going to really help them show that you care and that you have sympathy for their situations. And very often, when we are listening to someone talk, it's really easy to think in our minds, oh, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, and you're formulating everything that you're going to say in response to them, but you're not really hearing what they're saying. And so I encourage you to practice the art of active listening, of really hearing the person. Because not only is that going to show to them, they're going to they're going to recognize when you're actively listening to them. But it's also going to provide you with powerful information to use in the future when you're interacting with them in the future because you're going to know how their mind kind of functions and how best to, to use that. And I'm going to draw out on that a little bit more in, a, in one of the future slides. Teach them by your actions that they have infinite value in the eyes of God. A lot of people, especially people who have struggled with rejection or neglect or some kind of, of abuse, they don't understand their true value. They don't know what they're worth. They have no self-worth. They, they don't feel like they have worth for this, themselves, and they definitely don't feel like they have worth to God. Reaching the people involves helping where you can. And the best, most powerful way that I always point people back to is prayer. It's, it's the first defense, not the last result. How often do we try so much to do what we want to get done, and then we're like, oh, this isn't working. Oh, I should pray. Prayer that is not just one little prayer, and then they're forgotten, but consistent, intentional, and specific. And I would encourage you to pray that these people would be able to find answers for the tough questions that they have in life. Invite God to use you if you will be effectual, because you're not always the person that's most effective in reaching someone in a certain way. I think parents know that, you know. I told my kid that so many times, and now that Michael told him that now they finally believe it. <laughs> but say, Lord, if, if it will be effective, use me. Use me to reach this person. And if not, send somebody else who will be more effective. Pray for them to see and understand Jesus for who he truly is, and especially for them to come to accept Jesus in their hearts. And all throughout this prayer experience, of course, all the prayer in the world, all the effort in the world, really doesn't 
amount to anything, especially in the sight of one little ounce of prayer that has the Holy Spirit behind it. And so claim Luke eleven thirteen. It says, If ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So if you, who has a sinful, selfish, erring heart, can have a desire to give something good to someone that you care about, you can be that much more sure that God will send his Holy Spirit. And if you're going to ask for the Holy Spirit, you have to respond. You have to be responsive when the Holy Spirit comes in and speaks to you. And I'll tell you what, I learned this the hard way. And I don't want you to have to do the same. I had a friend. When we met, we really connected. And she would always ask me, what's going on in your world? She always wanted to know everything about me and offer me encouragement and support. And the day came when I knew that she was needing that encouragement and support too. She was a lesbian. She'd been in a relationship for over 10 years, I think 12 years at that point. And I knew that her and her partner had separated. And I thought, you need to call her. And this fear came in that said, well, wait. (laughs) She's going to ask you what's going on in your world. And you know you always talked about spiritual things. You know she's seen what you've posted on Facebook. Now you talk so much about Jesus. You know she's going to ask you. And this fear came in. And I'd push it away. And the conviction would come back later. She'd come into my mind and I'd push it away. Because I was afraid, because I didn't know how to share the Bible with someone whose life was condemned by the Bible. And about three months later, I found out that around the time I was being convicted to call her, she committed suicide. So respond to the Holy Spirit when you invite him in. And don't push it away. Because I was convicted for a little while, and then the conviction stopped. And God might be using that impression, that remembering them in your mind to say prayer, to say call. And that's what I encourage people a lot when they come and they say, how can I help? I I always point them to prayer first and foremost. And I say, ask God to bring that person into your mind when they need prayer the most, when they're tempted, when they're making a decision, when they're confused, when they're thinking about God, Say, God, when you know that they need extra angels, impress upon my heart to pray for them right then so that we can co-labor together for their soul. And prepare yourself to provide answers to those hard questions about life and about God and about your faith. Because if you're praying for them to find answers, then... God might use you, right, if you're praying all these things. And so spend active time in the Word and prepare yourself. And and that's another reason why active listening is important, because they might reveal to you some of the questions they have about life, and you you can prepare yourself to have more information about those certain things. Reaching people involves building trust. In my experience, as I was starting to interact with more Christians in my life, they would use nature to bring spiritual concepts into my mind or to describe certain things. And for me, this was really profound and dynamic. I mean, that's what Christ did. He taught with object lessons, right? And so 
I can't see the things of heaven. We can't discern those things, but we can see and discern the things of earth. So use concepts of spiritual object lessons to help them understand what you're trying to convey to them. And also, like I said, use their past words because that's really going to help you connect with them with verbiage that's going to resonate with, with how their mind works. And nobody likes to feel like they're being pushed in a certain direction. So be, be patient with them. And one of the things that was so profound for me is that my Christian friends would come up to me and they'd say, you know, the other day I said this to you, and I was thinking about that, and I thought you might think that this was what I meant by those words that I said, but that's not what I meant. I just wanted to make sure that you understood where I was coming from, or I said something to you the other day, and I think I might have offended you, and I'm really sorry. And that was, that was so special to me. Even though most of the times I'd be like, well, I didn't even think twice about what you said the other day. Don't worry, you don't have to apologize. That was usually my response. But it was showing me that they were willing to show that they weren't perfect. Because I thought that I had to be perfect to be a Christian. And I saw that I didn't have to be perfect, that everybody makes mistakes as long as we're walking in the right direction and we're all still striving to do what's right. And it showed me that I didn't have to try and cover up my mistakes either, and that I could be transparent about when I made a mistake. And that was important for me in my growth and experience. And of course, reaching people is about showing them a picture of Jesus and showing them why they can love him and what it looks like to love him, how they can love him. A lot of the times, if if you go to people with information before they're ready, it's just going to push them away. But if you wait for them to open up their hand, they'll be able to receive the information that you have to give, right? So a lot of the times, it's more effective, I've I've seen in my experience, to allow them to initiate the the spiritual conversation. Now, God isn't always going to lead in that direction, and he may convict you to start the spiritual conversation. But a lot of the times, it's more effective if you allow them to open the door because then they're ready. And as you start having those spiritual conversations, ask thought-provoking questions. Ask things that are really going to get their mind going, get them thinking, and get them ticking. And if they really are thinking about what you're talking about in a very active way, it's going to call those things back to their mind more readily in the future. And it's going to encourage them that they can discern spiritual things, you know, if they really think about them. Because some people really feel like, well, no, I'm not a theologian. I can't understand spiritual things. But some people are really encouraged when they start having conversations about God, and they understand, and they can conceptualize the conversation that you're having with them. And convey God's love to them. I think historically, just as much as we've rejected homosexuals, we've, we've kind of had that fire and brimstone, like, <laughs> revival kind of approach to talking to people about homosexuality. Well, you, you know, the Bible says that, that that's an abomination and you're not going to heaven. And that's kind of where we start. 
And I think that if we start focusing on the love of God, it's only when we understand the true nature of God and, and understand him and his love that his judgment can finally make sense. And when people come to me and they say, you know, this is, this is my problem, this is something that's hindering me from God or whatever, one of the first things I always tell them is I assure them that God still loves them, no matter how far they've walked away from God, because that was something that I believed for a long time. Well, I walked so far away from God that he would never want me back, that he would never be interested in, in knowing me again. And so help them to understand that he is still available to them today even despite what they've gone through in the past. Ever since Paul had been arrested in his career of persecution against the followers of the crucified Nazarene, there had been given him a revelation of the infinite love of God, as revealed in the death of Christ. And a marvelous transformation had been wrought in his life, bringing all his plans and purposes into harmony with heaven. From that hour, he had been a new man in Christ. He knew by personal experience that when a sinner once beholds the love of the Father as seen in the sacrifice of his Son and yields to the divine influence, a change of heart takes place. And henceforth, Christ is all in all. So focus on his love, expound on his nature and character, and help them to really see a truer picture of God. Because once they start to see who God is in the face of Jesus Christ and understand who he really is, they won't be able to help but fall in love with him. A few things that really helped me to understand the nature and character of God were the story of the woman at the well, I definitely resonated with that story from my past experience. And I love to see that Jesus was so invitational. And so seeing this picture of Christ when someone said to me, you know, Christ is a perfect gentleman. He'll never force himself upon you. I understood that Jesus because I'd seen it in the story of, of him interacting with that woman at the well. And I was, I, was, I was more easily understanding also the concept that God doesn't ask anything from me unless he has something better in exchange. That he has something better in store than what I'm holding on to that I think is, is completing me and this thing that I think that I love, but he's just saying, no, I have something so much better. And of course, promises like Jeremiah 29, 11, that says that he has a plan for my life. Or Numbers 23, 19, that says he's not a man that he can lie. Or Joshua 1, verses 5 through 9, that he won't leave me or forsake me. These were promises that were so precious to me. So share the promises of God. Share his character through his word. And validate the word of God through your own personal experience, through your own testimony. Talk to them about how God has led in your life and the changes that he's made in you. Because not only does that make the words of God tangible for them, but it shows that God is still working today. And that he's not just the, the God of the Old Testament, right? He's still alive and active today. And help them to see 
the spiritual impact that is being had on their life by the things of the world that they're interacting with. Help them to understand the way the things of the world are injuring them and tying them, binding them to, to the enemy and allowing the enemy to come in and wreak havoc in their life. And of course, last but definitely not least, encourage them to pray. Encourage them to pray as much as you're having an active prayer experience in your own heart and life for them. Encourage them to be prayerful in their life, and this is why. The darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray. The whispered temptations of the enemy entice them to sin. And it is all because they do not make the use of the privilege that God has given them in the divine appointment of prayer. Why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse, where are treasured the boundless resources of of omnipotence? Without unceasing prayer and diligent watching, we are in danger of growing careless and of deviating from the right path. The adversary seeks continually to obstruct the way to the mercy seat that we may not by earnest supplication and faith obtain grace and power to resist temptation. So encourage them in that prayer experience. And as you're pointing them to to prayer, as you're pointing them to the word of God, as you're speaking the words of life into their ears, That's what's going to make a difference. That's what's really going to transform their heart and life. It's like when you put, when you put salt into water, it dissolves, right? And if you put selfishness in the presence of God through his word and through the ways that we interact with him, the self starts to break down and to fall away. I'm going to share with you now, I wanted to share with you a couple testimonies to kind of bring this all together and show you that this has been effective for me in my experience. And I think that there are probably many other times, I hope and pray that there have been other times, many other times where people have been benefited by what I've shared with them. I think sometimes God doesn't show us all of the effectiveness of our ministry because it's easy for pride to come in and the focus to be taken off Christ. But in his mercy, he has shown me some of the things that have really helped and really had an impact on someone's life, lasting impact. I'm going to read to you, actually, from a letter that I wrote to this young girl. She had heard me at GYC last year, So she contacted me, and she said, I'm really struggling in sexual sin. And she said, I really, I need help. I've tried to stop, and I keep going back to it, and and I need help from someone, and I thought maybe you could help. And so I'm actually going to, I'm going to read this to you, and it's going to be a few slides of reading, so I apologize for that. But I just want to kind of share some of the verbiage with you that, that I used for this person that was effectual for them, because a few months later after I had, I only had two exchanges with her, I I emailed her twice, 
And she actually saw me at a camp meeting, and she said, by the grace of God and by what you shared with me, God has, God has helped me find victory. And as I'm going through this, I, I hope that to, I can draw out what I've shared with you in the presentation and in what I shared with her. As for your situation at hand, I want you to know foremost that God loves you so deeply. Here I am, I'm pointing to the love of God. His love for you is unconditional and will never grow cold. People sometimes struggle to understand this fully because they read in the Bible of how following God leads to his favor, while forsaking him leads to ruin. Now this is true, but it's not true because his love is extinguished, because his love can't be extinguished, because he is love. His blessings may be conditional, but his love is not. Spirit of Prophecy says that his love does not grow cold, his efforts to win them do not cease, right? From what Michael shared this morning. And I have come to understand this better by knowing this. The curse that comes from sin is not something that God thrusts upon us to punish us. The consequences of sin are the natural result that come from walking away from the protection that his presence offers. His presence is our shield from harm, and sin separates us from that protection. Yet it can never separate us from his love. With that said, I'm guessing that you can naturally relate to the reference that I made of being outside of the protection of God. I believe that you can relate to this because of what you wrote me. So here I'm drawing upon the words that she herself used in the original message. You used words like struggle, ashamed, giving in, gross, and addicted. These are those natural consequences that I'm talking about. The shame and guilt that you are experiencing come from being separated from the Lord, the source of life and peace. But I don't share this with you to discourage you, nor to focus on the problem. I share in hopes that you will recognize this for what it truly is, and then praise God for allowing you to experience that shame and guilt. I know that this is hard, but look at it this way. In this world where we are often led by our feelings, we come to despise the conviction of the Holy Spirit because it's uncomfortable. But God designed it to be that way. Because the conviction is supposed to help us to realize that we need change. So don't resist the conviction, but admit it, accept it, and own it. Then couple this acknowledgement with the comforting fact that God never intended for you to have to experience those feelings, and his heart aches to see you struggle with this. Satan knows that Jesus is the source of the strength you need and that he is all you need. While it may be a scary thought to acknowledge Satan's tactics, doing so enables you to see his lies clearly, and you will be empowered to deny his lies. Romans 8, 5 tells us that it was when we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. If you can take your eyes off of the lies of Satan and instead believe God, believe his word, 
you will see a whole new world waiting for you there. I can tell you from my personal experience that relationships, physical closeness, and sexual experiences do not fill the space of longing that you sense inside of your heart. Because only the love of Jesus can fill that place. And I know that only his love can ever satisfy us. He's always there for you. And it takes time to develop a relationship with anybody, right? But if you will invest time and energy into building that relationship with him, you will reap benefits sweeter than you ever could imagine. Pray. And ask God to give you joy in spending time with him and his word and ask him for an insatiable desire for spiritual intimacy with him. This alone can satisfy. He is with you right now and always. Like I said, after these things and some time to ponder, and she did do what I encouraged her to do, she found victory in her life. I want to share one more story. While this girl's vice was masturbation and pornography, I was put in contact with a young girl who was in a same-sex relationship. She had been abused, and she was experiencing sexual confusion as a result of that, and she started dating one of her friends. And through some divine appointments, God not only put me in contact with this girl, but put me in the same room with her. Even though we lived on opposite side, sides of the country, God allowed us to meet. And I was on my face about this, I'll tell you what. Because I was thinking, how can I minister to someone, you know, she's been, she's been sexually abused, and I've never been sexually abused, and so I was praying a lot. And I had a lot of people praying for this conversation. And when we met, she came in and she seemed kind of sheepish. sheepish. She was obviously a little bit uncomfortable, and I'm sure she was timid, not knowing what the conversation was going to go like. And when she came in, I asked her if she had had an opportunity to go to my website, which was what I encouraged her mother to, to lead her to um, before we had time to talk. And she said that she hadn't been there, so I said, well, maybe I can share some of my testimony with you. That way I'm not just the stranger that you don't know that you're opening up to or whatever that you're talking to, but uh, you'll know who I am. And as I was sharing my testimony with her, it was amazing because I just figured I'd share a couple little things with her. But as I was talking, I was reminded of the conversations that I had with the woman who put me in contact with her. I remembered the conversations I had with the mother. And all these things started coming into my mind of how her story paralleled with mine a lot more than I realized. God led me in speaking to her the history of my life in the best way that I could to praying that she would discern the parallels and and learn some of the lessons that I had learned through my experience. Hopefully, vicariously through me, she wouldn't have to experience the things I went through. And then I said, you know, I just want to give you a place to talk. I said, if you want to talk about what happened with that boy, then we can talk about that. If not, we don't have to. If you want to talk about 
something that you're struggling with, something you're confused about, just whatever's on your heart right now, I just want to give you a place to know that someone might understand. And she didn't choose to talk about the assault. She didn't choose to talk about anything but her girlfriend, and that was the last thing I expected her to want to talk about, but that's what she brought up. And so I asked her, I said, we all growing up in the church, I didn't grow up in the church, but those who grow up in the church, we kind of do this thing because it's what we've always done. It's what our family's always done, and we just kind of go through the motions. So each and every one of us have to go through this transition where Jesus Christ and me following him and living for him is not just something that I do because I grew up in this atmosphere. It's because he's my Lord and he's my Savior. And have you had that experience? She said, I don't think so, no. I said, well, how do you feel about the Bible? She said, I just feel like it's something I have to do. And I said, well, do you believe in the Bible? Do you think it's truth? She said, yeah, I believe it's true. And so I said... (laughs) This was the last thing I expected to say to her. Do, have you ever read what the Bible says about same-sex relationships? Usually I, I discourage people in bringing that up and saying, let's look at what the Word says. But this time God said, look at it. Look at it with her. So we did. She was willing. She, she was inviting. And so I just shared with her a few Simple verses. And by the time I got done reading the first one, I looked at her face and I could tell. She said, I did not know that that was in the Bible. And I said, okay. Well, what are you, what are you thinking other than that? She said, I think I've made a huge mistake. And I said, okay. Well, I tried to, bring her through that understanding that God is trying to bring this conviction into your heart to help you to get back onto the right path and not to, you know, in following your feelings, you might want to run away from that conviction because it's uncomfortable, but turn to God and stay away from him. I tried to bring that out of her, and, and I shared a few other Bible texts, and eventually I said, you know, is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there any questions that you have? I, I talked a little bit more about the Bible verses, and we, she opened up to me about some other things that was going on in her life, and eventually I could tell that she was really interested in, in turning away from the path that she was on, and, and I asked her if, if that's what she wanted to do so that she would verbalize it to herself and she would make that decision, and she did, and we prayed together. And she handed her life over to the Lord, and she... She left that day, and her mom texted me and said, how did it go? What happened? And I was at a camp meeting, so I didn't get the text until the next day, and it came in with the other text that she sent later on. They came in together, and the second text said, I cannot believe the change that I see in my daughter. And she said she told me that she gave her heart to Christ whenever she was talking with you yesterday, and she broke up with her girlfriend last night. So, like I said, I never expected to share those things with her. But I had prayed so much, and God led me. So we're here at GYC. Our theme this year is the called, the chosen, and the faithful. 
And the theme for today is the called, right? I was called this morning by Wayne's message to place my identity solely in Christ. And I hope you were called that way too. My hope and prayer is that you were called today during this message. That somebody in your life, in your sphere of influence, needs the evangelism that you have available. But you've been too timid to step forward and talk to that person because you felt like they wouldn't change or you didn't have anything in common or you wouldn't know what to say. Maybe they're, they're, they identify as lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender. Maybe they don't. But I hope that you have felt called that there's someone that you need to reach out to. Matthew 9, 37 and 38 says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Because God is calling you today. He is calling you to harvest because there are people in your sphere of influence that he wants to use you to reach. And when you turn from those who seem unpromising and unattractive, do you realize that you are neglecting the soul for whom Christ is seeking? At the very time when you turn from them, they may be in the greatest need of your compassion. I did that with Linda. They may appear to be living careless lives, but they are not insensible to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Many among them might be one for Christ. These erring ones may appear hard and reckless, but if they had received the same advantages that others have had, they might have revealed a, more, a far more nobility of soul and greater talent for usefulness. Angels weep while human eyes are dry and hearts are closed to pity. So are you feeling that call today to minister to someone in your sphere of influence? If that's you, I want to invite you to stand as we close with prayer. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much that 2,000 years ago, he was facing far more challenging situations than we ever could imagine. He looked down through the pages of earth's history and he looked forward to us and he chose death instead of self. Lord, we want you to give us that spirit of Christ because each and every one of us need it whether we acknowledge it or not. And Lord, 
It wasn't an easy task for Jesus to come and live a life of obedience and example for us. And it's not easy for us to to do either. But he went through it so that he could give us everything that we need in order to reach the hurting souls in our community, the souls that are dying for want of nourishment that comes alone from Jesus Christ. Lord, today there's many standing. And you know that each and every one of us have a burden on our heart right now for souls that are around us. Lord, we, have, we may have a name in our mind and maybe we don't. Maybe we're just impressed that you want to bring someone. Lord, we pray for the wisdom, the discernment, the prayerfulness to be able to reach those hearts. Lord, we know that while we can't do it, you can. So, Lord, thank you for what you are going to do through us. Do not let this burden fall from off our backs. Let us carry it all the way to the end, Lord, to save souls for you because that's what this is all about. Open our eyes to the need around us, Lord, and give us the courage and the boldness and the discernment to speak a word in due season. Lord, you said that for everything there's a season and a time. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent, a time to weep with them and a time to laugh with them. And Lord, we believe that you can change their lives. And if or when any doubt comes into our mind, Lord, help us to claim your promise in Mark 9. That we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. You are able. And thank you for what you are going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.